just wanted to have superpowers, you know. Most recent album, definitely. Most Find recent himself. project, I don't. Because he has Beast Coast. Yeah, so there's definitely yeah. been a joint project. And that's that's Pro Era and Flatbush Zombies. Yep. Yes. And what was this, 2016? This Land of the Free? Was that 20? Land of Free, I think the single came out maybe 2016, but okay. this came out 2017. Okay, like okay. Right, I think I want to say April. Okay. Mm-hmm. I remember that. What's up, everybody? How y'all doing today? After Dinner Conversations is here. Uh, Mike is here, Corey's here, Steven's here, and we have a special guest today. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> oh, we getting, we getting, she get the drop? Yeah, she get the drop. <laughs> she wanted to hear it when she got on. Now she acting like she don't. Yeah, don't blow out her ears. Our guest today, I was about to say doctor, but not, we're not there yet. We're going to get there soon. Real soon. Pre doctor. Master. Master. Master MPH. Oh, yes, that's true. Odia King MPH. Introduce yourself. Let them know who's here. Hello, everyone. My name is Odia, and that's all I have for you today. <laughs> right, this is what we're talking about. You ask people how they're doing. We'll talk about themselves. Yeah, she, she, she's not, yeah, she's not as shy as that. It's aspect. not even about shyness. It's like I think that what you need to know about me will be unveiled throughout the conversation. Mm. Talk about it. You see how she changed into her podcast <laughs> voice right before we started? <laughs> Are we uh, back? What is this? Are we episode twenty yet? No, nineteen. No. Nineteen. Okay, nineteen. nineteen. We, once, once we had twenty, that's a that's a celebration. We're not teenagers no more. <laughs> <laughs> we grow in our twenties. Once you hit twenty, you you almost grown. Facts. Nah, that's that's a fact, man. But how's everybody doing? How's everybody feeling, man? Weather's changing a lot. It's been what seventy to eighty degrees every day this week, whether the sun's out or not. Yeah, I mean it's been all right. Not really the. Uh how do you say? Not optimal circumstances. Yeah, uplifting, you know, social climate in the past yeah, couple like of days. I, I don't know what the weather is unless I actually go outside. And when do I actually go outside? Every few days. Yeah, they. I know that we're on like phase ones in a lot of states that open up lockdown, but I'm good. I'm the, still, I'm going to self-quarantine for a while. There's states on phase two already. We pushed ours back, right? Phase one. I think, yeah. no, no, I think we started a little bit because we're at restaurants can like, you have people sit outside now. Okay, but like yeah. the barbershops and salons, they didn't, they, they pushed, pushed back. back. For yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately. But. I don't know. I mean, for good measures. Unfortunately, yeah, by the people. Everybody would have been running to the barbershop. They're man. still going to do it. It's going to be worse now. Because the people it who thought they could last until May now got to wait till June. I know people who got their hair cut. 
I won't say their names. But I know people. I mean, regard people will always find a way to black market. I know people who ne- who still getting the hair, um, the hair, the nails done every two weeks. So yeah, I know people doing hair. You know, going do braids and everything like that. Shout out to them. You know, keep their hustle up. Yeah, you know, you gotta get their bread somehow. Absolutely. Yeah, the bills didn't stop, so exactly. That, that's, that's, that's what we need to talk about. The bills that never stopped. <sighs> Man, um, a lot. Stephen, how are you? Man, I'm I'm I. Um, I think it's really hard um, to stay motivated these days. Um, I think my optimism kind of fades in and out of how I look onto things, and I think. Naturally, for me, it doesn't help when I um, the things that's going on in the world and, you know, the outrage and the outcry and then the people who need to play uh, like foolish devil, devil's advocate and stuff like that. Uh, it doesn't really help with, I, I want to say, my mental state. It just kind of frustrates me. Um, and I just realized, that, you know, there's a lot, lot more things frustrate me. And as much as I appreciate uh, people's activity on um, social media and advocating stuff like that, I always want to hold something tangible to these um upset the the anger or people's frustration or people's willingness to um apply to the cause i've seen a lot of people donating to um minneapolis freedom fund mm-hmm. i guess it started mm-hmm. for your fund for all the protesters um and that's really good so i've been seeing a lot of people putting their money where their mouth is literally mm-hmm. um and that's one of the things that matter to me the most so i'm okay uh, i could be better i know there's other people in the world doing far worse than me mm-hmm. and god bless their hearts so I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna be okay. I, I just don't know how everybody else is gonna be. Um, so I just gotta pray for them and do what I can to help individuals. No, that's valid. Um, I think you know the uh, the Freedom Fund that you just talked about is is amazing. You know, considering all that's going on, so a lot of people don't have disposable income. So for those people that are mm-hmm. finding ways to to take what they do have to to give to those protesters that are on the front lines, you know, and doing a great service, you know, to the people in that community, I, I definitely applaud them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I donated to it too. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's like always a contrast of like people in like just a few states over and they're just risking their lives and stuff like that. And you just gotta like, it's sad. That you, it's not, it's not sad, but you know, just a situation like me being so far away from it and like mm-hmm. you just have to watch it. Yeah. Type of thing. Um, yeah, it's just frustrating. It's been like nonstop, just I've never seen social media so active about anything in like in recent history than mm-hmm. this, you know. Um, the writing and the, how you feel about the the looting and the writing. I was specifically. Talking, I was talking about with my boys today. Actually, uh, one of my boys, uh, shout out to Kyle. Um, he's my neighbor's his own white guy. Um, he wanted um like an honest perspective. Um, I guess from our vantage point of what we think of the riots, and I guess for me, uh, the militant, as people say to me, or the militaristic of my vocabulary, my thoughts, um doesn't mind it or maybe in a uh, cynical way, maybe slightly enjoys it because it puts a reminder that nothing should be above human life. Right. You know, I don't necessarily understand, you know, the cry of somebody, uh, people stealing toilet paper from target when they can't get, um, affordable testing for a virus that's plaguing the nation. Um, the damage of these type of things, it's, it doesn't bother me. You know, we have insurance for a reason, right? Everybody wants to talk about, you know, we need insurance. We need to do this. We need to, provide this well you know target is a billion dollar corporation right and even from going from past target to a smaller scale of looting you know looting and these type of things happen because there's injustices happening people aren't just looting for fun you know what i'm saying you don't see other countries having problems with looting and and all these other stuff because it's just a fun activity you know there's outcry and outrage um and so i don't have a problem with the looting i've i think naturally 
always been a person of or who believes in that type of action sometimes when people are being ignored. And I just think in the case of Minneapolis and um, specifically Minnesota, uh, looting is what kind of needed to happen for people to start acting accordingly. Like they finally arrested the guy and things are kind of moving in the right direction. But then the question becomes like, does pe- if people have to loot every time they want change, you know, what does that say about the government that you've set up for these type um, for these people? Uh, so for me, I, I have no mind in it. I understand it. I think the only thing that scares me is the, the violence of it all right now when the protesters come to clash with um not even just police but military forces right you know and people losing their lives because of you know they're fighting for their freedom and i I can't really advocate for you need to to tell somebody they need to go loot and fight and die for them to make a case because who am i to tell somebody they need to die for something but i can't tell them that necessary that they need to be peaceful in order to get what they want because it has shown that that hasn't got people to the progress they wanted or needed or deserved. Uh, and so I don't have a problem with it. I just think it's interesting how the the lamps and Target have more insurance than the individual sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Like mm-hmm. health insurance, life insurance, um, and assurance that they're safe in the environments that they live in oftentimes are pushed into. So for me, it's really hard to make a case that people should adhere to all the social rules and regulations that are put in place and the forces that are there to support or keep them safe don't have to adhere to the boundaries of respecting someone's life. And I don't know how you can sit there and tell someone, yeah, you, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't rob people, you shouldn't commit these crimes, yet a crime that violates human rights that happened to people who look like you disproportionately, you should just sit by and, and take forever and continue to do so centuries and centuries after they enslaved your ancestors um, or continue to penalize you just for literally existing either in your home or outside in the world. Yeah. Can I I just um, input real quick? Um, I just want to say, Odia, can you just briefly give your background just a little bit? Um, I know you don't like talking about yourself too much, but just so so, (laughs) list your wars and accolades. Um, Yeah. Just so like the listeners can know that you're not speaking um, from this, you know, without, you know, knowledge and background related to to everything that's going on. Yes, of course. I should have given a real intro earlier, but I like to play. I do. Um, So my bachelor's is in cognitive science and political science. And for those of you who aren't really sure what cognitive science is. It's the study of these six interdisciplinary fields and disciplines that all intersect at a specific point, a point which gives you cognitive science. So anthropology, psychology, philosophy, linguistics, computer science, and speech language and hearing sciences all come together and are branches of this field we call cognitive science. So I in particular study the anthropological and psychological and linguistic parts of those more because they interest me and because class availability, because you had to graduate. And um, I also studied political science, like I say, but mostly in terms of political behavior and um, identity politics. And then you wrap those together and add on my master's in public health that I just got fresh two weeks ago. So there you go. There you I remember go. my classes. Hit that round of applause button. Hit that round of applause button. It's not even in the mail yet. It's not in the mail, but the degree was conferred. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely mine. (laughs) And there I focused on social and uh, behavioral epidemiology. So epidemiology is the study and concentration of disease and risk factors. And if you're someone like me, you look at racism and sexism and xenophobia and transphobia. All of those things are pathogens 
um, in our in our social systems, in my opinion. So I look at them as diseases, and I study them like diseases, and try to eradicate them like diseases. So mm-hmm. those are my approaches, both academically and also personally. I'm I'm very much involved, and I center Black people, specifically Black women, in almost all of my work. Amazing! I gotta do it again. <laughs> That was probably the longest one, so don't tell Paris. Facts. <laughs> That's Facts. a real introduction. Now she's going to hear and be like, look at the ball black women get. They find love. Now she's going to be like, look at Corey. Oh, That's yeah. Love, like. <laughs> That's facts. Oh, my gosh. Uh. No, but I think y'all definitely made some valid points um, in regards to the looting. I think Steven talking about the safety of it all and mm-hmm. the violence of it all. I think for me, what stands out, and I don't really know the makeup of the community in which all this is taking place, Mm -hmm. but one of the things, you know, black communities in particular, not having the institutions necessary to thrive on their own. So, right, not having a hospital, not having a school, not having a grocery store, right? These things that are so necessary for survival um, and even just to be able to thrive and to be able to live, to not have those. And then, you know, you have these big corporations essentially you know, robbing, if you want to say, from from the people Fair. at, you know, the markup that a lot of these, you know, uh, items are valued at, they're stealing. Exactly. So, you know, to sort of get back what you're worth, I, I don't think it's it's bad, um, mm-hmm. as Stephen was putting it. But, you know, for the smaller, you know, family-owned businesses, yeah. I hope that we are being mindful and that we're being strategic and being respectful to those businesses that are still trying to compete in the shadows of the mm-hmm. Walmarts and the Targets and, and the in Best Buys. In the midst buys. of a pandemic. Exactly. And they probably haven't even been able to be open in three months, right? Yeah. So for them to come back in three months and find out that all their merchandise is off the shelves because of the looters, I think that's where my frustration comes. Yeah. Because a lot of times there's looting without strategy or there's looting without mm-hmm. care it needs to be with purpose exactly and so you know i don't i don't necessarily have an issue with the mm-hmm. big chains but as we talk about you know those mom and pops um in the restaurants and all this other stuff you know please be respectful in those instances because they are working and obviously they can't you know have five dollar t-shirts the way walmart does right yeah. they might have the up price or upsell but they're trying their best to to be community members because they yeah. live in the community right and they're, they're the ones giving back the most they're the ones giving back mm-hmm. you know they're the ones at the community board meetings they're exactly. the ones at the, the, with the pto you know walmart don't doesn't run exactly. the PTO at your local community school walmart don't you know sponsor the little league team right that's that's the <laughs> that's mom and right. pop the cleaners right so you know those people that are doing what they can please be respectful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100% agree i just that's my specific specific exception on it too as well like you know and not as far as i've seen through videos like mm-hmm. i don't know what's going on of course i'm out there um it's been mostly like you know those larger businesses but me personally i'm i have no problem with looting I go ahead i mean you're talking about corporations that are you know in the billion you're about to have a trillionaire in this country or like tomorrow he gets like Eventually, what, 80, yeah. 80 million a minute at this point. Exactly. And they spent, you know, decades, like from like who knows when, 50s, 60s, 70s, I can't remember when it started. Um, decades just, you know, having their little lobbyists, little little uh, think tanks and firms, and they got the special access to the to, to their favorite little politician that they that they buy and pay for. Um, so they could write their laws that kind of, you know, pull back regulation, you know, trickle down economics you know all the all the little fun stuff that has most of the country a third of the country in poverty already um so like in my mind like are, are they really stealing what are they stealing <laughs> especially when this whole pandemic happened and then the people got taken care of got taken care of first were the corporations you know yeah like I, we talked about the other day like two times like the federal treasury finally somehow found a trillion dollars just to dump, dump into the stock market mm-hmm. you know when the bailout money comes 500 billion went right to the corporations you got private jet companies getting bailed out 
So technically, Easily. we like I said, technically we own the companies. <laughs> like you know, those are us, our money that never got back to like only some in the country got that one time twelve hundred dollar check. And now you know there's you know the uh, we call it uh, Republicans the majority are saying like you know they don't feel feel a need or urgency to kind of you know tackle relief again. And so you know as people are, are like and, and black people no matter where they are are kind of one of the most deprived people socially as far mm-hmm. as those social institutions like Corey mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know and how much farther can they go? You know it already it was already in the middle of a pandemic. It's already people losing jobs, but you know and then someone gets murdered like literally just blatant murder cold just like that in the street. You know what? Where they was holding them back at that point. Yeah, I mean, yeah. these black and brown communities are also disproportionately dying from a disease that mm-hmm. they didn't bring here. So when you do the contact tracing, you see that a lot of rich people traveled and came back yeah. and brought the virus, and then it's being contracted with the essential mm-hmm. workers, who are again predominantly low income, predominantly black and brown. So they wouldn't have stood a chance of even contracting it, minding their business and living their lives in their homes but the service that they do for the other people in this country so that their lives can stay afloat are the ones also infecting exactly. them. Exactly. And it's like the and it's the service that they have to do, mm-hmm. right? Because right. we're not like the opportunities that they're, you know, lacking in terms of college education, in terms of being able to have income jobs that allow them to work remotely. They don't have, right? So we're the nurses, the frontline mm-hmm. workers, mm-hmm. you know, the okay. security guards, mm-hmm. the truck drivers, right? Things that still need to be done regard the way the factory mm-hmm. workers, mm-hmm. right? Amazon is packed with with black and brown folk right now. Oh, right. I mean, that's always, always been that's and, been their bread and butter. And are employing people still. Exactly. Currently. Right. Um, and I'm not sure if there's the, the same protocols, right? I don't know if the people that are wearing masks or if you, you know, got a fever, just go home. Somebody mm-hmm. else come because people need work, right? Yeah. So yeah, they can't even take breaks, man. They, so, <laughs> you know, hour days. Yeah, it's stuff the like that that makes looting seem necessary. But there's also frustrations on my end when looting turns into dudes fighting over sneakers, Mad right? Mm-hmm. And dudes fighting over that 50-inch smart TV that won't fit in a living room, right? So, like, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. And it's like, yes, you can resell it, and there's all these arguments. But my frustration is if we're fighting over, you know, Similac, right? Cool. I don't have no issue. If we fight in over toilet paper, have no issue. If we fight in over groceries and produce, have no issue. Mm-hmm. But we fighting over Jays, right? And we fighting over the, the new Xbox coming the, out, the new Xbox or the new PS. Like that stuff is what's frustrating mm-hmm. to me. The true material, materialistic things that aren't exactly, exactly because that, because that's not protest. That's not rebellion, right? Mm-hmm. Those those two things aren't aren't that. So that's my frustration um, on that end. But again, I don't know enough about what's going on, and I'm praying that everything that is taking place um, on that end is done to a point where it relates to necessity rather than want right i mean there's a level of righteousness to it too because my for the viewers or the listeners rather like my family's from guinea and that's a country that was looted for over 60 years by the french like looting isn't something necessarily something like that's new and exploiting areas and resources and times where they were vulnerable or even just minding their business like a lot of the countries that almost every black person in the world is from have suffered an experience. So on a grander scale, yeah, when we talk about imperialism, people just see it as militaries coming in and occupying places and then eventually losing and leaving. But you take so much and deprive so so much from an area. You take so much area. that when you leave, you know, you've taken everything you needed at that point. And then you change things, like the language. So it's just mm-hmm. like being from a place that was actively, aggressively looted from regularly and to see people talking about, like, looting in this individual sense, like you have to think of it on a grander scale, like taking something that doesn't belong to you is looting. But these areas that have been overrun by corporations, run down, neglected, what in that space actually does belong to them? Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. even their homes oftentimes belong to them. Yep. 
their bodies don't belong to them. So at some point, something's going to have to give. And if someone's taking two lamps and a Dyson vacuum. Yeah, the Dyson's expensive. Exactly. <laughs> that's, no, that's a good vacuum, too. They last like That's like top-end engineer. Yeah. If that right. is the peak of their civil unrest and it still doesn't match up to a cop murdering someone senselessly on yeah. the street, broad daylight, who wasn't even a person that was known to be aggressive yep. in his personal life, then we're not having the same conversation. They're not having a conversation mm-hmm. at all. They're just talking to themselves. Mm-hmm. And if it's not serving you or your community, like what is Target doing there? Like, you know, like at what point? I think, I think then, then the question comes, you know, what are we doing to ensure that there is a grocery store if Target's not there, mm-hmm. right? What are we doing to ensure that people eat if, um, if Target... Maybe. So, I mean, I, mean, I think that's, that's a question, though, right, that we have to ask because if these places weren't there, then all, all that would take place is we would have to go to the Target in the suburbs mm-hmm. and, and pay twice the value, right? So I think that becomes a question. Reparations <laughs> is the answer. <laughs> Could be. Those 40 acres. Yeah, I mean, reparations. Where, where, those, uh, where those black billionaires at, man? Where Rock Nation Brunch Twitter at, Rock, man? Rock where Nation the LC Brunch. Twitter at? Where, like, nobody, where the investing in the community black people at? That's All these man. black celebrities. Everybody got money. Everybody was with the mission before. And so I, I think I completely agree with mm-hmm. you, right? But yeah, that, I, think, I think so. Yeah, that's the only thing I would like exactly. directly. So, but hey, but getting but getting the targets and the WalMarts are out isn't enough if there's no you know plans to come in and say come and replace it. That's what? like your insurance. You don't cancel your insurance until you get another one, right? So mm-hmm. unless it's really bad insurance, you pay for yourself <laughs> at that point. Nah, because then as soon as you drive your car, that joint starts acting up. Like, oh. I ain't do this before. <laughs> <laughs> you had insurance before. Facts. Your car knows when it's time to play. Facts. Get pulled over the next day. I knew I should have waited one more day. No, that that's always the <laughs> thing, yo. Or you're, like you know, the day after your phone warranty expires, yo, and your exactly. iPhone screen starts tweaking, or whatever phone you have. You ain't dropped your phone in four years. As soon as you cancel your insurance, <laughs> your hands get slippery. <laughs> hands get slippery. No, I think everybody here made valid points. Uh, I guess just to kind of wrap this up, um, I guess we have a, a moment of silence for um, George Floyd. Uh, the Floyd family, as well as the um, Jackson family. Um, you know, prayers to them, condolences with the entire family, and really, really hope, you know, justice um, is delivered to them. So, um, moment of silence for that. Absolutely. So, you know, to that family, to that community, also to the other families, you know, families in Georgia that have been affected by that mm-hmm. shooting taking mm-hmm. place there. Um, the one in Michigan uh, having been affected ago. by that mm-hmm. there, but also all the deaths, that, uh, the lives that are being Louisville. lost. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Breonna Taylor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that one as well, but also to the coronavirus victims, right? Families, you know, everybody, I'm sure everybody mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form has been impacted by, you know, losing a loved one to this tragic, you know, virus that's going on and taking place. So to all those families as well, um, wishing you, you know, peace uh, in, your, in your heart and in your soul. Amen. All right. <laughs> um, to kind of switch gears, uh, I guess not really switch gears, I guess to move slightly over to um, a relative topic to, I guess, everything we're talking about. Um, first and foremost, congratulations to all the new graduates of 2020. Uh, I think most schools end before June, right? For colleges. Yeah, you have to for colleges, yes. Yeah, so I think some yeah. of them have like a week or two, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to the new graduates. Um, you know. <laughs> Had to do it extra long because they wasn't their families weren't at the graduation. About to be able to hang up the signs and everything. And if their online graduation was like mine, <laughs> what the Star Wars credits? Mm. <laughs> Somebody said I look like Boys in the Hoods credits. Carol oh Baskin spoke gosh. at my graduation. 
Oh, yeah, because you had the... Um, this for my specific department. Mm-hmm. They had Carol Baskin at the end calling, calling us cool cats and kittens. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> There's no that note, yeah. Precisely. Um, class of 2020, y'all did something no one's ever did before, so congratulations. You always have to have that on your on your diploma, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So despite, you know, not having the formal celebrations, you know, nobody can mm-hmm. take what you've earned and the work that you've done and the memories that you've, you know accumulated over the over the time from you so make sure you hold those you know mm-hmm. near and dear to you and lord help your kids if they ever feel like they're gonna ever talk about quitting school <laughs> or if they don't feel like doing homework <laughs> it's over for them nah, I'm for that. Right. or they say they don't want to go to graduation well you got to go to graduation oh no i'm principal going that's my that's my degree <laughs> no um shout out to the schools though who are who have at least tried to attempt to make um tentative plans of still doing graduation in the fall or next year in the winter because uh, i know it means a lot to certain um certain people uh, to have the opportunity to just be with their family and recognize their um, accomplishments. So shout out to those schools. Yeah, and shout out to the community organizations also that have taken the time to, and the individuals as well that have taken the time to create, you know, virtual graduations for, you know, the members in their organization mm-hmm. or just the people in the local community, the people that's putting signs on the front lawn and doing the drive-by graduation. The drive-by. Know. I did like three of those. <laughs> But yep. also, like, the high schools, because they're still in school right now. True, true. I can't imagine being online for four months. In high school, yes. My high school is open. My high school is No, not, not like, in school, but, like, like they're oh, in Oh, just in general. Oh, just in general. I was like, I'm at the all high school schools. No, 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 no. Mike was about to call the, call the legislators, <laughs> man. Call, was, call somebody. I was, was, was going to show them or something, man. I was like, what the heck is going on? No, but they're still in session, I think, for another week or two in classes. Most schools don't get out until, like, the second week of June. Yeah, second, third. Well, sometimes the graduation is earlier. Well, yeah. I would say, yeah. Yeah. So, got, got even, <laughs> I think in some ways it's even a little bit more noble doing that in high school because your life is about to change dramatically. And the people you've known sometimes your entire life, mm-hmm. you didn't get to see and spend those last few moments with. Like as much as I couldn't care less for prom <laughs> um, or even my own high school graduation, it still is a time that I think is very important to have mm-hmm. when you're like 17, 18, sometimes 19 years old, about to move on to this new phase of your life with these people that have known you since your voice was squeaky and you still had, I don't know. Your shape up was leaning. Yeah. <laughs> Fubus was being rocked. Precisely. And gone, now gone. you don't. When you had a baldy. Rock aware. Before yeah. you got the waves. We knew you before. We knew you before. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, them. Yeah, but I think it is closure, right? I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of things that aren't being, aren't closure isn't given right now mm-hmm. um, due to all that's going on. So I hope people find ways to. You know, get that closure in some way, shape, or form. But still, again, congratulations once again. Y'all really did what y'all had to do. I don't know why it sounds so loud when it goes outside, <laughs> though. I hope that's the last one. That's, uh, yeah. You don't like clapping and applauding people? She, she says she don't do appreciation applause. Well, Dia don't like people, man. You know See, that. That's a fact. Hey, Paris wanted more claps. So Dia won less claps. I can't, I'd rather I can't get wait. paid right than appreciated right, all right? Mm. Talk about addiction middle of the pod. Switching it up. <laughs> look, look, don't get paid too much. That's what we're talking about today, man. People don't get, get paid, paid too off. much. They don't know what they're doing with it. What is it? Would you rather be paid or uh, underpaid or overrated? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sorry, let me stop. Overrated. <laughs> That's what everybody says. I was like, is that an actual question? No, it's like, yeah. an actual question, but everybody always says overpaid because no one wants to be underrated. No recognition there. Even, yeah. Um, no, so we, we're here to talk about um, sellouts. Or potential sellouts, or people—the concept of selling out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you have some strong opinions about this particular subject matter. 
I have strong opinions about one particular group of people, one subgroup of <laughs> people and political beliefs, but that's about it. This is, this is Mike's after dinner conversation. Absolutely. We said that people were saying that, you know. I don't want to call people out, though. But okay. You, go, you, ahead. Go, you, you no, go ahead. Go ahead. go ahead. No, no. All right. We can start off. We can start off. So we're talking about sellouts. I mean, of course, you know, we're all black individuals here. Um, and so, you know, this might be something something different in, a particular, in our particular context as far as like the cultural um, and the social implications of it as well. Um, and now that... I always say that, you know, I, I was born in 1996, um, and I feel like I've, we've been living through, I'm, I'm 24 now, I feel like we've been living through, like, one of the most turbulent social times <laughs> in American Very history, turbulent. like, my, my whole life, <laughs> and I was even, was even barely five years old when 9-11 happened, and Lord knows we not, we have not been the same country since mm-hmm. uh, that happened, and we had the Bush administration, and then I, we've lived to see the first black president, <laughs> which is like, you know, and me and my roommate talked about this, too. We were like, if you was in a coma in 2005, you woke up in 2020, you know, what was the, like, what would you, what was, like, the one event you would tell them about, like, that they missed? And, you know, you're talking about, you could talk about pandemic, you talk about Kobe dying, you talk about all these different things, but, like, you like you missed the whole first black president in the United States. That's, like, a once in, like, a, a once in, like, a lifetime thing to, not even a lifetime, uh, once ever thing that to ever yeah. happen. Who knows Generation. when we'll have another one? Millennium. Yeah, who? No, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris. They're not serious. They're not. We're not going to talk about. <laughs> I don't think they're they're reaching the. Platforms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't think. I don't think they're reaching that that pinnacle right there. Let their but, campaigns rest in peace. <laughs> nah, we, nah. Cory Booker had too many campaigns, man. Now I got to talk about it now. <laughs> but no, nah, so yeah, so we're talking about sellouts. So right now in our current current turbulent times, as always, um, you know what does what does this mean, especially like. How like the politics is really changing ever since the 2016 election in the U.S. Um, and now they're going to be changing even more after the 2020 election as well. Um, so the concept, of, like you know, and when you match the cultural side of it for uh, or for African Americans as black in, uh, individuals in this country, um, you know, what does that mean as we're starting to get more of a platform, more you know, we're finding our ways having more like we see a lot. There's a lot of black politicians you can see, you know, a lot of elected officials as well, you know. And you know, as black cultures only keep evolving in America. So, you know, what what does the concept of a sellout to start mean to y'all in today's day? It's it's very interesting, right? Because <laughs> you can I feel like people because of how like social media can be wielded, you can kinda either create the perception that you're not a sellout and being like a community leader or setting an example for others, or even vice versa, you know, somebody could weaponize against you to kind of consider you a sellout. Um, I think for me, uh, I guess I, I can speak more amongst my peers. Um, we're talking about people who recently graduated or people who are within our, you know, 20 to 30s age range. I think somebody who's a sellout in general begins with the mindset that they're, a, they're, which is not a bad way, but they're more than their race in the sense of that, you know, their race doesn't matter. They have no obligation to people. They only have an obligation for themselves, right? Pat, before we even get to the financial regards of being a seller, I think that core thing of, you know, you're black, and like, but am I black? Am I really black? I'm really human, right? You know, starting off with that basis. And there's nothing wrong with recognizing that you're a human individual and stuff like that. But it always kind of makes me rub my eyebrows when individuals, specifically black, and I guess other minority groups can speak to their, um, their respective experiences as well, when somebody doesn't identify as that, that being a part of them. And they don't see the injustices or, or the things going on in the world as being something that should be concerning to them, right? Um, I think that's the first notion for me as to what a sellout is. I'm sorry, I'm raising my hand. I'm well, so why you're raising, I was saying, why <laughs> you raising your hand? I didn't want to cut him off. I think th- there's a two – I've thought about this at great length, and I think there's there's two met criterias for me that you, that you 
that can be used to dictate whether or not you're a sellout, in my opinion. The first is only leveraging a part of your identity when it benefits you and, and only in those cases. And the other one is also allowing people to weaponize who you are to demean other people from said group. Mm-hmm. Like when both of those things come together, that's when you've officially been deemed a sellout with, with the gold stamp in my book. Because gold stamp. Like when they parade Ben Carson up there for nothing? Yeah. And they put him, out, <laughs> put him back well, in the shadows. Ben like, Carson's no, the go-to example. It's knowing that you check the box for the diversity requirement, being comfortable with it, and knowing that that's going to be the reason why they're not hiring more people like you. Or when you're in a space and you want to play up being ultra-feminine for whatever reason to, I don't know, to get a free meal. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But to she's, she's not she's not she's on a pod. <laughs> just to, no to upplay your fem like your femininity or being a feminist in certain cases. But when someone asks you to speak up on something, you're silent. Mm-hmm. Like it's those cases where you're just like, okay, you're allowing your silence then to be weaponized against women like you, or you're allowing the fact that you are black and maybe queer in this space and to be accepted just for you, so you can keep your job or keep the placement that you have in the social hierarchy. And then when it comes to giving someone else that opportunity, you're nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. Like those are, I think that's what it is for me. Okay. Yeah, I think what everybody said, but just to add on, for me, I, I always look at it from a lens and I look at everything from like a sports analogy, mm-hmm. but you know, just not passing the baton along, right? So for mm-hmm. me, it's it's less about race or any particular social identity, but sort of all social identities in, in connection with each other. But when you have an opportunity to to give back to the local organization that you you know grew up in, to your local high school, to you know your brother or your cousin up the block, like that, those are the opportunities to pass that baton, right? You ran a race, you've been able to move up, like uh, Odia was saying, the social hierarchy, and now there is somebody in front of you for you to hand the baton to in some way, shape, or form, whether that be an internship, whether that be a meeting, whether that simply be them learning from your experience, and you don't take and you don't take that in any way shape or form mm-hmm. so for me that's always what what it's looked like and it has nothing to do with race in particular it could just be you from the neighborhood right you mm-hmm. could be the one white person from the neighborhood but you from the neighborhood so you know what the neighborhood is like right yeah, and so that's part you know, of you now that's part of you and so i think it's you know you went to that one school right nobody else that you knew from that school but you had the opportunity to give back to another student that's coming up and graduating with that mm-hmm. school and you don't do it so for me, it's just been, you know, holding that baton in your pocket or, you know, running the race and, you know, just getting off the track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, I think it's, um, this is all like great answers and um, inputs. I think it's such a value thing for me. Um, it's such a, like integrity thing. And I think that it's very indignant of your character. And that's what bothers me a lot about it. You know, if you're not being, if you're not willing to kind of devote yourself to a cause that affects every person that, you know, share the same experiences as you in life. That's what troubles me the most. And so that's, that's what defines me as a sellout. Uh, it was hard for me when it happened to Kanye. I mean, he'll never live that, that 2016 to like 2018 period. I think yeah. it was um, off of him or to 2019, whatever. I, I mean, he still endorsed him like a couple months ago. So until to present. <laughs> um, and so like for me personally, he was like someone I looked up to when I was growing up. And then for him to say like, you know, to really openly and, and embrace like unnecessarily in my opinion, because I think that he was just trying to be a contrarian. Like you can, you can you know be open and loving and not have to embrace the racist and who a sexual harassing rapist, you know, mm-hmm. um, president that we have now who just advocate, who just advocated to, you know, shoot Killing. looters with the national guard. Um, yeah. His, his, his own justice. Yeah. He was trying, who, who's, who he's trying to backpedal right now on his, you know, 
whatever tweets that he's sending out. Um, and like Odia said to Odia's point, like you know he was he was hey Kanye was he was in the office red hat and everything. Mm-hmm. Where is he now? Can't find him. Days, it's been days. It's been days. You know, and no one, no one, no one's heard from him. No one's seen him. Haven't seen the tweet. Haven't seen the video. Not, you know, and this is very a stark contrast to the person who we saw him be early in his career too, as well. Um, and you know, and that, that's addictive character. Like you know, like you're a billionaire now. Cool, that's fine. Like I'm happy for you, but like you know, when where is this person at? You know, we can't just you know, there you know have a dereliction of our duty to like our our culture or the people that you know help raise us that village in Chicago that helped raise him or from from where we're all from personally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't just leave those people in the dust like that to move forward. But you know. Now, and that leads to my next question. Do you think that kind of hurts our causes or our movement or progress as a people, either one? Like denouncing and canceling sellouts? Or or, or just the existence of them. Oh, okay. Oh, that's, that's the, that's the yeah. easiest way, um, way in, to weaponize. Exactly, because like the social media era, there's going to be a lot of people, especially as the, like the precedent that the current president is setting right now with the social media and stuff, there's going to be more people that's kind of mm-hmm. be like opportunists on that of all races and colors and genders. Um, and so, like, that might be more of a thing that we see up here, like the Candace Owens. So if you don't know who Candace Owens is. Is that Candace Owens? Yeah. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. She's from UConn. Uh, she's from Stanford, Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah, she is. Oh. She was from Stanford. Oh, that's, that's boss. And I think she, like, had a lawsuit or something against she, her school for discrimination? Yeah, she had a lawsuit against, what's, who was the former governor of Connecticut? Dan Malloy? Dan Malloy was. It was his son. Was a part of that? Who I guess who was doing racist things against her at Stanford High? Yeah. Oh no, I remember the story. Yeah, and now she's she, a definition of a sellout to me. Yeah. She's doing oh, both, so both so things that I said. <laughs> she's doing both actively. Yeah, a super sellout. Queen somebody, sellout. somebody want to give just an overview of who she is, really quickly, just for the listeners who don't know. Um, she's she's like a uh, she's a how do you call it? She's like a she's a black Republican pundit, and she started. Like, yeah, like political yeah, 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 literally. Um, I got I forgot what platform. I think it's Prager. Uh, Prager is like a right wing kind of like think tank or platform. Uh, I think she has like a little show on there maybe, but I think she does interviews once in a while. I don't know what she does all day. Uh, she tweets a lot, like like all of them. Um, and yeah, so she well, she started like a quote unquote movement. It's called Blexit, kind of off of Brexit, but it's like black people exit the uh, Democrats to be Republicans. Mm. So that's like her whole mission model. And you know, she's just like her tweets are no different than the other Republican like. Mm. People or bots, like, you know, oh, is this is George Soros, is this, that, and the third, you know, media, she does the same thing. Um, but she's very big on the, the race thing, like, of course, like Odia said. <laughs> she uses it to her advantage then. Um, like, when all these kids have been going on the past couple of days, she's never really acknowledged the murder of, like, George Lloyd. Mm-hmm. But she acknowledges, like, oh, how CNN or people are using the, the media to create some narrative for election year. Or, and she's like, oh, look up black on black crimes, here's that. You know, it's not, she says not 1920, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's favorite thing is just reading off random dates before the civil rights on bill is signed. That's <laughs> all they have seen. It's like people throwing um, that out there. Yeah, and that's that's what she, and she's been just adamant. That's like she's never, to, to, to well, from what I read from people in her comments and stuff like that, it's like she's never, even from like, it was crazy because like even Republicans, like white Republicans were under her tweet saying like, you're kind of wilding right now. Like, you know, you can't even acknowledge that, you know, someone was wrong in the situation and so on. So she's like one of those type of people. Mm. When you well, first started talking, I thought you said Candace Parker. I'm like, wait, oh I'm no, Candace not Candace Parker. Parker. Candace, Parker. <laughs> Candace Parker is fantastic. Yeah, that's why I said boss. I'm like Candace Parker. I like oh, no. her. Oh, <laughs> we lost Candace Parker to it. Oh, I mean, sad day. But I will add is that she also denounces Black Lives Matter actively. Too. Oh yeah, she does. Which, oh, actively. And in my Act- case, actively. like, all right, I don't care what political party that you have, but if you flaunt your party affiliation as a way to make a statement to incite a reaction, like, okay, you're black and you're Republican. If you agree with the values of the Republican Party, 
then you agree with the values of the Republican Party. But for that to be something that is ingrained in your personality to make a statement about who you are and what you think is unnecessary. And are you are you really someone who aligns yourself with the values or do you prefer the notoriety of being someone who is black and Republican? Just an example. So there's that. But what was your question again, Mike? I was going to ask. Oh, it's like, are these type of people, like, uh, do they stop our, pro- like, you know, our oh, ideal okay. progress for, you know, like, for the, the future of black people in, in this country? I say the only reason why that question can even exist in the first place, not that it's a bad question, mm-hmm. is because we live in the system that we live in. Mm-hmm. Right? So how can a whole other individual's ideologies or ideas or behaviors devalue from the notion that my life should matter to you mm-hmm. and that my survival should matter to you. And the fact that we can have that discussion and actually be one that we have to take into consideration is a direct consequence of living in a system like this mm-hmm. where we have to be model citizens or we have to behave certain ways or respectability certain things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, in order for us to be valuable enough for our freedoms. Mm-hmm. And no, I like, I think that, like I say, oftentimes the cost of freedom is black Republicans. Like the cost of freedom is black people making decisions that we don't like. Mm-hmm. The cost of freedom is a whole bunch of people doing things that are unfavorable to themselves and to other people who look like them. But that's because they're free to make those decisions. And until they're free to make those decisions without making it look like I don't deserve something, then we're never actually going to be quote unquote free. Mm-hmm. Thank you, know, you. I think it's true, you know, that the question can only exist because of the system that we're in. Like, I would love to, you know, believe that my degrees and my experiences and everything is as valued as the next person where, you know, as long as I'm given the opportunity to showcase what I have, then regardless of who's sitting next to me, you know, based on my credentials, I can get that job or I can get that opportunity. I can get that experience. Mm-hmm. We all know that that's not necessarily how it works, right? Yeah. It's all about who you know. It's about who mm-hmm. you can call. It's about who can get you in that room. And for black folks in particular, you know, we're, we're lesser on that scale in terms of having the people to call, having the access, having, you know, somebody that's in a high position of power. Right. And so when people do get these positions, we would like to feel like, oh, they won. We won. Right. We would like to feel that. Mm -hmm. Hey, now I have somebody that looks like me right now. I have somebody that's relatable reference point now. Exactly. So if somebody from like your your hometown makes Mm -hmm. it and like becomes a congressman or becomes a CEO, you know, I know that dude right now. I could send him an email. Now I could get that internship. But if you have these people that, you know, as soon as they reach a certain plateau or as soon as they reach, you know, a certain level, they forget about everything that came before, yes. then just because they won has nothing to do with us. I think that's unfortunate, right? Because I think for a lot of groups, when when one person wins, they all win, right? But I think for us in particular, when somebody wins, that doesn't have any correlation or any, you know, trickle down effect to to the common person. And I think that's very scary because I would love to say Mike won. Okay, I'm calling Mike with my kid needs an internship, right, related to research, right? Or mm, Stephen won. You know, my nephew's an engineer. You know, help. You know, can you help him out? But if Stephen and Mike were on a sellout thing, Stephen and Mike gonna be like Corey. <laughs> Why you say your own Corey. name? See, that's how. <laughs> that's how I sound like. <laughs> or they start asking the wrong questions, like, "Oh, what are his SAT scores?" Or what are his grades? Like they start yeah, asking exactly. the questions and the metrics that are often used to keep us out of those spaces even mm-hmm. further. Mm-hmm. Do you know about the business? Just, like, do they know about business. That's why I'm calling you, right? right. So you know, <laughs> but I think that's that's the scary part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's um, it's just something that I don't know, it's something I always think about because it's just so different seeing in politics for us. 
Um, and, you know, as we keep moving forward, we're still in this two-party system, so it's going to keep being that way. But um, Odia knows more than anybody that I kind of have a, you know, a strong distaste for black Republicans, not because I don't believe you keep, that you can't believe in whatever you want. I do not care what you believe in. You know, you believe in, literally, you can believe, like, the sun is a flying rock for all I care. You know, like, as long as you're not hurting nobody, I don't care what you believe in. Mm-hmm. However, I'm not saying that people have, black people have to be Democrats. You don't have to be anything you don't want to be. I just don't think that you can, for me, it's like, I don't, it's crazy that you can deny your whole experience. Like you said, Steve, like, you know, yeah. they, you think you're above your race or something like that. When at the end of the day, they're going to see you as everyone else sees you, like the rest of the world sees you. Um, you know, no matter how t- how strong you tie your tie, no matter how much, you know, you put that relaxing in your hair, like it's not, they're never going to say like, okay, come on down. Like, you know, have a seat right at the table with us. You know, we'll give you everything we have. It will never, never it's never been like, who, who has it? I'm, I'm still waiting for the first. Well, it's a two prong thing too, because it's not just like this is what I believe in and blah 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 blah. It's yeah. also like, oh, I'm not a black person until they need a black person to say something that is about black people and mm-hmm. not seem that they're being racist. Yes, and I'm like, that's exactly the weaponizing part. It's like you know they're using you for this. You're opting into it. You're putting on a show, usually beyond what they could even imagine and do themselves, and you also give them an excuse for their behavior. Yeah, and you and then you confirm what they're. Like excuse exactly. me, you confirm like what they're already been doing. Like you know, like if they're gonna not you know fund local communities or local schools and uh, hire you know highly dense highly dense um black neighborhoods or communities, you know, and you're gonna come up there and say, no, black people just have to learn more, and be smarter. And they're like, yeah, just like that. All right, let's go. And like you know, let's keep it pushing. Let's cut the budget a little bit more because clearly, like, you no, know, they're they're okay with that kind of logic, and you're and you become just like kind of mouthpiece for that, you know, against like the well being of our people. So yeah, I think my issue my issue comes with you know. Don't make your platform bigger than your identity, right? And so regardless of if I have three PhDs, I'm always going to be a black man before my three doctorates, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless if I'm a Republican, a Democrat, or I rep the Green Party, right? I'm always going to be a black man before I'm a Green Party representative. Regardless, shoot, even if I'm the president, I'm always going to be a black man before I'm the president, Mm -hmm. right? And so my issue comes when that platform takes precedence over that identity, Right. So, no, you are not like a Republican who's black. You're a black Republican. Right. Yes. So, like, we have to prioritize the same way we talk about like student athletes in a different context. Right. Mm-hmm. Prioritize that something comes before the other. Yes. And we can't forget that. And I'm not saying that the people that you help and give back to believe the same things. Right. There might be a black Republican that, you know, believes in uh, a financial program, which is generally not something that a social, you know, economic yeah. program, mm-hmm. that's generally not something that's Republican just because his community needs it mm-hmm. because he's black before he's a Republican. Yes. And so I think two things can be true at once. Right. And, you know, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people forget that. Exactly. And that's exactly like I, I echo those same sentiments. I was going to, I was going to ask you all like, when does this even idea of a sellout starts? Right. Cause I don't, I don't think you just become a sellout once, you know, once you get your money or once you, you know, become distance from people like you know can somebody at the age of 10 be a sellout you know somebody who's distanced themselves you know <laughs> honest conversation you know no, they can't, where, they be. where does it start that recognition that somebody is smart enough or knowledgeable enough to recognize that things that are going on in the community or in the world and they distance themselves from it in a way that you recognize them as a sellout well, based on my definition it's all about intention mm-hmm. once you know what you're doing and that what you're doing can be 
used this way. Mm. That's it. That's the beginning yeah. and the end. Yeah, it will never be a child. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm never, because, you, know. Like, <laughs> you know, you. I mean, just because you have those experiences, I don't know, I can't speak for everybody, but you have those experiences mm-hmm. at school where people, you know, denounce their community or where they're from at a young age. Like, oh, y'all from here. Y'all dirty. It's not where I'm from. I'm from here. I'm just living here for now. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you have those rhetorics that go on. And those don't start, you know, when you get to high school, college. Those things happen as early as fourth grade. You know, someone telling you that, like, oh, that's y'all people. Y'all y'all not the ones that's serious. I'm different. You so know what I'm saying? So if your son came home from class and he was like, you know that, I think George Bush did a good thing starting the Iraq war. He's going to kick him out the house. Just I want to say I kick him out the house. I, 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 it would really be one of those things where I, he he would have to bring his points to the table. And I, he wouldn't have any points to bring. That would be the first no, problem. Wouldn't. You know what I'm saying? That's so okay, what, whatever he would strum up will, will be properly educated. But... I think it's also like a consciousness thing for me. So, right, mm-hmm. I don't think Steven's son, whatever, <laughs> or, or daughter, or no, daughter, yeah, yeah. Be a girl dad. right? You know, I don't think they would ever come home and and say that mm-hmm. because I think Steven would be, you know, certain to have this consciousness talk to educate those children about history, right? So, to the point where for me, I grew up playing baseball, right? And one of the things, yeah, oh, Corey Cor- was trying to get to the majors. <laughs> Corey on the Michael Jordan vibes. We major. Um, <laughs> I grew up playing baseball, and my uncle was always heavily involved in the Little League, right? He was president at one point of the Little League. And so I would go to the baseball um, field with my uncle hours before the game, and I would rake the field, right? Oh, I'm, he had you work. He, I'm, so he put, I'm in my uniform uncle. lining the field. And, and, you know, By yourself? Putting new bait. He was helping me, oh, and there was okay. other coaches helping me. But that was always how I was indoctrinated to giving back to my community, mm-hmm. Right, I was playing three hours later, and I was raking a field for other people my age and younger and to play baseball. Said he was beasting them too, right? And so, like <laughs> that was always what I knew. But for people that you know, sort of grow up in in a bubble, sort of so to speak, you mm. know, they go to private school, right? They live in this neighborhood where they're, they're the only person. They don't know of their history because if it's not taught at home, it's certainly not taught in school, mm-hmm. right? And so they think, oh, if I get this degree, I'm good. And they're they sort of live in this post racial society, and they don't know any better, mm-hmm. then who are we blaming for, for them being sellouts? So yes, I believe it can happen at a very young age because there's there's no counter argument for some mm-hmm. for some people. Well I don't it depends on how much damage is being done ultimately is the case. Like uh, from if, from them selling out you mean? From them selling out or exhibiting sellout traits. Like it's if yeah. what you're just saying is like I'm not like one of you people and then you go to your country club that I'm not going to and I don't care about, like what are you actually doing to me? Yeah. At the end of the day. But if you're spewing this rhetoric inside of your office and you're legitimizing something that's going to harm other people or can harm other people, that's where it's actually a problem. I mean, you can argue though, as like a kid, like that gives people the uh, the stance to let allow them to be weaponized, right? For somebody who acts in that nature let's say who's a minority and they're not, I don't want to say different, so to say, but they just don't recognize or acknowledge these traits among them or these struggles amongst their people. You know, they become that, Oh, that's my ex friend or that's my Spanish friend who, and he don't think like that. So it must not be true. You know, they become the reference point from that. And I feel like that's, that starts at a young age too. You know, people, people, the minute you call somebody racist that like, and I've done, I mean, this happened when I was a kid, like, you know, you call somebody racist 11 or 12 It's like, no, He's my friend and he's black and he likes me. Right. You know, it's quick mm-hmm. to go. That becomes a reference point. And maybe, you know, that mm-hmm. is their friend. Maybe they have completely different views. But if they have similar views, that becomes a reference point. A young lady is to say, I'm not this because this specific person 
that aligns with the demographics I see you in mm-hmm. thinks like this. No, well, and I mean, and there's, it, there's it, also like a so a, weaponized socially. That's right. what I'm getting. Okay. It, it can happen. It can happen really easily in schools because yeah. even statistics say like black like black boys do often do better socially in like all white schools than black mm-hmm. women do because mm-hmm. they're you know they're perceived more like you know they're funny cool whatever, whatever they're perceived cool. like, yeah they're so they're easy to assimilate into that you know I'm comfortable being in this role where like these white kids like me mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that you know and I just didn't like the fear of alienation is stronger than, like. So it, it it could happen like that indoctrination from young, but there's but there's also there's also things that you know black men can do that black women necessarily can't in those spaces, right? So like we can always exactly. cut our hair short, right? We can you know shave every day. Mm-hmm. There's certain things, whether it be hair, whether it be you know you know how the body fits the school uniform, right? There's certain things that black mm-hmm. women can't control in these spaces that I recognize that black men have the power to. So at least, at least, at least adjust, right? Adjust and make and it so work. I think that's the scary part because the reality is there are parents out here that will say, ignore race, study hard, and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. That's a reality. And that's what they sell their kids on. And so is that, person, that, yeah. is that person a sellout because they didn't know any better? And is it our responsibility to educate those people? Because they might have not had a racial incident. They might be mm-hmm. in a class of 12 to 15 people throughout their whole thing. Went to K through twelve, a very liberal, you know, mm-hmm. liberal arts school and think that because they got a 4.0 and got an 1800 on SS, whatever the case is, that they're I agree. fine. I, no, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I think, think I think I, you can't blame a child. I, mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. You can't blame a child. Well, um, I, for yeah. me, I think it's, oh, to answer like the original question, like where where does it start? Yeah, so I, I think know. that it's just when the cynicism comes above, like, you know, the duty that you're doing, not, not duty to culture, but like um, being able to use your experiences to kind of um, inform your decision making. I think, well, I have a question, but it's also in light of what Corey just brought up, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, sometimes there's a gender divide and disproportionate, <laughs> disproportionate gender divide on who is a sellout and who's not a sellout, who's perceived to be a sellout mm-hmm. and who's not, especially when it comes to black people. And as the only black woman on this podcast, I'm saying that it's not necessarily my group and my part of the population that is often in the, the sellout boat. Um, so to say, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and the, but that happens a lot because yes. we see like a lot of black male athletes marrying white women or not really speaking out against things that are happening. Like even in the NFL, like Colin Kaepernick for the most part stood on his own in many cases, mm-hmm. not that he's the mm-hmm. only one who did it to be very clear before people take this out of context, but is getting that notoriety and is seen as the only person doing this, the only person starting trouble mm-hmm. and, oftentimes come like has black women defending them mm-hmm. or black women stepping up and being the gate holders to the black community that oftentimes black men are absent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, to, to that, um, I do want to say, cause I agree with what you're saying. I understand. I understand the, um, how that manifests into the media and stuff like that. I also think, I, and I've realized this, um, I think more so in late high school, early college is that, you know, people pick out those people for, you know, a reason like, it's easier to, I want to say easier, it's for the patriarchy, right, and the white, you know, world that we live in, it's easier for them to reassert their dominance that by showing somebody who's also a man, even though they're black, with whatever traits that associated with them. So when you see, when you have most of the NBA, like most NBA players who have wives that are maybe are Spanish or black, but, you know, you only see the five or ten who have white wives, you know, always at the Grammys, or they always highlight them on the film or they only show them when they're out in public and stuff like that. You know, those people get favored in the light. And those are all the same people that kind of like demand answers from who aren't uh, with respect to them socially intellectual about things. Right. You know, they give the cookie cutter answers that will 
not get them in trouble or not be controversial and not really speaking up about things. And those people are always wants to get the light. So not necessarily disagree with you because I think that happens naturally because of the patriarchy we live in, especially for black men. Um, but also realize that there is a special dome light that people look for those type of people. You know what I'm saying? Because they're not the majority. I think we can all no. recognize those people aren't the majority, but it's it's the majority they want to sell to other people to try to like um, destroy the image or the message that people are trying to get across. Like the, the like, idea of racism, the idea of injustice. They want to say, no, we have, you know, you know, people who are interracial. We have people, you know, who don't think like this. They want to sell that image to masses when it's not rep- representative of the population. But so to add a, another piece to Odia's question, do you feel for Mike and Steven really, mm-hmm. do we feel that, some of that, so obviously it's not the majority of black men that are you mm-hmm. know, sellouts or you know of course, of inter- interracial relationships mm-hmm. or whatever the case is. But for that group, understanding that that group of black men probably still is larger than the group of black women that engage in absolutely, it, yeah. is some of that connected to traditional gender roles? So is it like black men that's feeling, hey, I have to be the provider, so I might have to put up with a little bit more at work, so I can't afford to lose my job because traditionally I'm supposed to be the provider. Right. So is it that black man? Hey, my code switching has to be a little bit more direct than maybe a black woman, because as the man, I'm supposed to bring home, you know, the bacon. The bread, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, no, I do think it, it does play. A, it plays a strong role, of course. I think at that point it becomes about self-preservation. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, I got I've you know, I I got awarded this um, this nice job or mm-hmm. like CFO or CEO. And I finally got my foot in the door making good money. I can support my family. I don't want to lose this. Yep. You know, so I think like even like I think it's gold beyond race. Like the game is still the game. Mm-hmm. And that, if that makes sense, you know, yeah. it's still about, I want to have the access to power. I want to have these connections. I want to be able to, you know, curtail these rules and regulations. If it don't help me or my bottom line or my company's bottom line, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to keep employing the same tactic just so that I can put the, it's not really a facade at all, but I just still like, so I can still be, you know, a part of that team per se. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I can still like, you know, we're, the part. yeah, exactly. You know, role. and they might actually be like, you know, they might, be the part <laughs> like you know I'm not, I can't put that against them there's nothing wrong that's just how they choose to live um, but yeah it definitely those those like being able to like being a man does have a lot of social privileges <laughs> than being a woman does of course um, and so they, they're able to take advantage of that more often and so you, you can clean it up all you want hey they're yeah. still they're still wishing all of us right now I mean I mean I think they can't hear us over their money with the social privileges with the social privileges come social responsibilities too right mm-hmm. so it's like I have this privilege to you know maybe get a higher paying job than a woman but I also have this responsibility to, you know, pay more bills than the woman in my household, you know, going again traditionally with those with those gender roles. So we should talk about that on another pod. We don't have time. Wait, does privilege roles? does privilege equal responsibility? I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think white privilege mm-hmm. comes with responsibility too often. That's true. That it, it should or it doesn't. Yeah, just a question of it. Yeah, like okay. does like of course does does it equal like you yeah. know as a like as men do we have the like the social responsibility of protecting black women? Exactly. You know because we have so much privileges. Mm-hmm. You know, and how have it, how has that yeah. changed from like traditional to modern roles? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, yeah, a, a good question. Good question. Look, somebody write it down. Somebody write it down because <laughs> I'm not going to remember. Next I mean, week. it's going to be recorded. Well, so. I think I can also and just not responding to Corey's question per se, but just parsing your answer, Mike, with mm-hmm. Corey's question, when it comes to the black community specifically, that pre- not there's a pressure to be a breadwinner for black men, yes. but not a matched reality. 100%. So black women they're are not, taking not, care of, like that's always, what I'm saying. Yeah, black yeah, women yeah, are taking care always. of households and oftentimes working and also are like, overschooled and all these, like not overschooled, but and like, are more likely to have higher education and 
in positions where they can get paid more. Mm-hmm. And that's in in all racial breakdowns. I think that's only the case for black women. I yep. think Asian mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Asian we're, women we're the only, we're the only Exactly, where mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of flipped. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have this yeah. pressure to perform and take care of your family. But you're often not taking care of your family by yourself. And more than likely, you're going to be with a black woman who's also bringing in that other form of support to support your family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that social pressure is there. But in reality, it doesn't really exist like that. And I don't know how to necessarily break that because part of it can be down to, quote unquote, the nature of a man to feel like they have to do that. Mm -hmm. But as an individual and as many as not a representative of many black women that I know, but as someone who has (laughs) a lot of black women friends, Mm -hmm. never in our lives have we sat down and thought about, oh, my husband's going to provide for me. And like we Mm -hmm. don't sit there and Mm -hmm. make that as part of the The trademark or the the, the, the criterion for you to, (laughs) to be our partner, but especially for heterosexual relationships specifically. So I'm just wondering, like, how can both things, well, that's cognitive dissonance, but how can both things coexist in your in your head and in your social sphere? Um, They just don't. Uh, I think there's a cultural contradiction, too, because, like, we're supposed to be breadwinners, but then how many dudes is playing the child support <laughs> or ever said anything positive Ooh. about playing child support? Who know they got a child? Oh, hey, a lot of them do. Put that blasphemy <laughs> button, man. <laughs> that is blasphemous. You know, I'm just saying, because, like, it's not, you know, breadwinner all you want, but, like, you know, I grew up in a single mother household, so, you mm-hmm. know, and, like, my mom was, of course, the breadwinner for my family, um, family four, too. And so she, she, you know, she did everything that she could do in those mm-hmm. situations. And um, so, and to answer Odia's question, like, you know, you're saying, like, how does it, like, how do we mend that type of issue, mm-hmm. that, that dissonance between, like, you know, um, you just have to, you know, uh, it just has to do with gender relations, honestly. You have to abolish those roles in general. Like, you know, I think... Not, I mean, not, I, I don't know if it's necessarily abolished, though, right? Because mm. I think, I think we, we can only do what we can as individuals, yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, the work that we are all trying to do... So not only are, we're, are we probably the only group out-earned by our, our women counterparts, right? Mm-hmm. I think we're also out-educated by our women counterparts, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, yeah. Like the Everyone is, though. Like, it's not just y'all. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, the, the, we have but the largest we, we have, we have, we have yeah, the largest gender, gender gap. gap. Yeah. Roughly, I mean, I know our university is like 80, at least 82%. Yeah. And, our, and we are at 50. You know, that's but in the United States, black women are the most educated. Yes, absolutely. But I'm saying the gap is even bigger nationally. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're at like 33%, maybe. And y'all are Pushing eighty, yeah. yeah, and I think we're the only race that has that such a yeah. Mm-hmm. One, I think we're only race below fifty, to be honest. Yeah, I think we black men might be one of the least educated, and so for black mm-hmm. women to be the most educated, I think the work that we do in ensuring that black men not ensuring but working towards mm-hmm. black men graduating, you know, mm-hmm. that's what we can do on a daily basis. Will we ever be able to flip it back? You know, I don't know. It's a goal to flip it back. It's though. a goal to flip it back, but you know, do we want to flip it back, or is it like Mike said, mm-hmm. do we just have to abolish traditional roles? Yeah, and, and flip and by, it back or make it no, no, make it equal. equal. Yeah. Oh. No, 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 that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. That's why I asked okay. like rhetorically: is yeah. the goal is to flip yeah. it back, or yeah. is it to we're, make we're it? not trying to regress past, like, <laughs> right? You know, before women suffrage. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm just saying that's just a lot more work on your end if you're trying to flip it back. No, you're right. Yeah, we all we all seen the leadership. I think it's just it's just close the close the gap. It's just close the gap. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, and about abolish, we're not like you know, men and women aren't supposed to do anything, nothing like that. It's just more so about um when we when they're able to like black men and black women are able to get those to those successful points being that like you know one shouldn't be the breadwinner of the family you should mm-hmm. just be out supporting your family yeah you know and you stop we should remove such tight pressures on people to like be these things that they might not even be ready for you know yeah. and, like in all these communities there are a lot of babies raising babies you know something we also are in through our lives a lot of babies raising babies you know and two addictions let's go yeah <laughs> um yeah so that's just, that's just what i mean in that context you know not because you know, like 
for a lot of men, like, you know, being able to do things is mas- being masculine, you know, being that real person, being that real man, you know, it's always canonized, um, you know, always that separation between, like, you know, what's a real man, what's not, you know, you can say, mm-hmm. I take care of my family, you can say, I told a gun, you can say, you say, you can say I can do a, hundred, a whole bunch of different things, and that's what being a man is, yeah. um, but it's always doing something, and so, and that's why, like, and we were talking about black men who are just disadvantaged socially in so many different ways, education, whatever, health, mm-hmm. you name it, um, it's hard for them to even do those, like, things that they're told that they're supposed to do, too. At the same time, so while they're scrambling to kind of find their identity, you know, it just I think it just gets so lost and like you know, rather than them finding a way to like survive and you know, or thrive actually, rather than survive, um, thrive and like you know, find ways to like make something happen that that fulfills them. But also, may if you have a family too, um, fulfills that too as well. Um, it's just um, we just have to find a way to rework things because what we have clearly isn't working. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just so hard because you oh, know, 100%. I think you want. A, a certain consciousness and support within your household. So if that, if your company that you're working at is doing something that racially, you know, or even just socially goes against your values, mm-hmm. and you leave that job, you would like your spouse to say, "I understand where you're coming from, right? Mm-hmm. We're gonna make it work." Mm-hmm. But if we're looking realistically, most marriages end because of financial reasons, right? So if your husband or wife comes home and says, "You know, I didn't, you know, agree with this socially." But we got two kids, right? And so, you know, I think that becomes the issue. The reality. You know, where do you, where does that balance out at? Exactly. Um, and I think what we do, too, I think that this is such a complex thing we're talking about. Like, oh, nothing, nothing we're talking about simple for any reason <laughs> uh, whatsoever. Um, very nuanced conversation, to say the least. But I think what Corey, like, I feel like talking with, with Dr. Hans, because you're not Dr. Hans, because Dr. Hans so much where he don't even listen. You, if you're not saying anything about graduation rates or academic, he won't hear it. He's not giving you the statistics <laughs> and facts. You're not you say saying anything effective, anything non-cognitive, he won't hear it. But, um, like what we're doing right now, I feel like we're just talking on two different levels mm-hmm. of it. Um, and because like I think you're always you're, you're a money man, but you're always concerned about <laughs> yeah, how people, yeah. how can they actually operate in this mm-hmm. world and like get what they need in this world. And and what something that my natural like you know interest and research interest is like identity. Like mm-hmm. you know how can people believe and have that self assurance, you mm-hmm. know, that self efficacy in whatever field that they're in to be able to wake up and be like you know even if I don't have a lot of money, I'm still worth. Yeah, I still, my life is still worth something. I don't have to you know fall in like the, into the necessity or. Of uh, um, finding things out of scarcity or mm-hmm. so on and so forth. You know, make poor decision making. Like, how do we not have people fall on those train of thoughts? You know, still have that self love for themselves. Cause that's, at the end of the day, that's what they need. Um, and what's going to get them through like the struggles of life more than anything. And it's like you said, it's hard because how do we bring this all together? We went from political all the way down <laughs> to <laughs> to the hearts of these black young black women, men and women in this world. So um, it's about finding that unified theory. I well, think. there's also that third level because we still live in a society that thrives <laughs> off capitalism, yeah, right? Do. Exactly. And I, I know. Yeah. It's really hard not to base your value on what you produce for the people around you even if it's not monetary oh no i i, I that's my biggest thing too about money and how yeah but, but that's how you're getting judged right you know our our families always remind us you know you got to be able to do this x y and z and because our families naturally re re-emphasize the values of you know traditional gender roles and being able to as a man provide for your family as a woman you know be able to love your husband and you know birth kids and all that type mm-hmm. of nature especially like three of us on the you're because we i know three of us immigrant families mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 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 and so, so like, yeah so even more so, yeah. you know exactly yeah. and so and when you have those people who are you know so essential to your life and in most um, some cases for people like how strong their family is rooted you know those things you know you hear those things growing up they naturally become a part of you whether or not you know you take the time to learn about the world and how things are changing do you kind of rechange your mindset um but i think naturally what happens is, is that we have those pressures from the people in our family like you, you know my dad and my uncles they will you know get all the men who do go sit outside while they're on cooking or something and be like 
you got to be the man. Like, you know, you just, you just kind of hear that rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And as much as for some people, it's not easy for them to kind of distance themselves from that talk. You know, that they look for that approval from other men or other people. And we talked about this briefly, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to harp, harp on it in general. But just the idea of it's not really just um, the the pressures that we put on ourselves. It's a lot of just the pressures that families just continue to put the pressure on yeah. their sons and their daughters to be specifically like something. Something maybe they couldn't do but they want you to do. Like we, I think we all know somebody with respect as a man or woman who weren't, who just didn't get it done or just didn't do it right or like missed out on opportunity. And the only thing they're going to yap in the ear is don't be like me. You got to be a better man. You got to be a better mm-hmm. woman. You got to do this. You know, don't let anybody take this from you. You got to assert yourself. You know, you hear that talk all the time in some spaces, especially when you go to like a barbershop or something. Um, and so it's just a reminder that you need to be very conscious of where your place is and be able to remove yourself from that type of atmosphere sometimes and really look within yourself to find what's appropriate. Well, I think what I gathered from this whole conversation is that sellouts are not, everyone's literally just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And so my question then is, do you think that everybody has a price in which they would sell out? Like what, like the, like a dollar amount or like a a dollar amount amount or or a condition that Mm -hmm. pushes you to the point where you're willing to, exploit and weaponize parts of your identity or your survival you're saying i think everyone has a has a a selling point point. yeah i I really do because at the end of the day if i ever have my own family or things like that and someone tells me that i have to say five or six little words to make sure they don't harm my family or that we have some form of security i'm not going to say that i'm going to be above even considering the option Mm. because i don't think that's true but i do believe that there is a point in time where someone will be willing to either cheat their neighbor or cheat their whole race of people or their whole gender of people or whatever else Just to slide ahead of people. And, and protect what they want to protect. Well, or protect what they feel they have to protect because we do all live under these pressures, right? So is, the, is there a price point? Do you have a selling point, Mike? Hmm? Not at the moment, no. I, I, I mean, I think it, it's hard to say that, like, in the way, same way Odia said, we can't talk about fatherhood because we don't got kids, right? You know, I think <laughs> it, it's, it's, true. Ha- it's hard to give this point without necessarily having any, any dependents at this point, right? So, yes, we have our, our mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, right? But we don't have a kid yet. We don't have, you know, a spouse yet. We don't have a house that has a mortgage yet, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that becomes where that price is at. Hey, you know, we looking to lay off, right? I'm going to need you to... to to do whatever the condition is and you can keep your job. Well, shoot, you know, my kid in that private school, you know, my wife, like her Jeep. Right. So like all the, all this stuff, we shop at Whole Foods, we shop at Whole Foods, my kid gluten free. Right. So like all this (laughs) stuff, we don't have that yet. So I think it's hard to give that, to give that price. We don't have, yeah, I get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's why people love their youth because it's kind of like your, your freest point in Mm -hmm. a sense. Right. You know, you can, you know, move the most. Yeah, and you're broken, <laughs> but you can move the most without, I guess, the most reputable damage to mm. other people. You know, your damage is really to yourself, right? Um, and so I think that's why people rush to kind of complete as much as they can in their youth before, you know, they have these extra responsibilities. They don't, they can't just move the way they want to or speak the way they want to because the people impact and people who are just become effectively by association responsible for your actions. Yeah, and I think, you know, in all this, we almost over time, so I'm going to finish. We always over time. But um, I think the one thing to say is that, 
you know, everyone that deals with a microaggression is is not a sellout, right? Everyone that code switches a little bit is not a sellout. There's, I don't think there's ever going to be in a hundred percent workplace that is loved. Even if you own your own business, you're going to get frustrated at some point, right? Mm-hmm. You want, you know, deal with a, a lender or something that that frustrates you. So dealing with a microaggression, code switching, you know, keeping your hair short, like these things in themselves are not selling out. I think the selling out comes when you do those things and still don't, you know, give back to, to where you came from. And so I think, you know, my frustration is if you're going to, you know, deal with a microaggression, you better make sure that you got, you know, for every microaggression, make sure you give one kid an internship, right? Well, even like if you're a student, not ha- you don't have to speak up every time there's True. a racial debate in class either. Mm-hmm. Like choosing your wholeness and your wellness is Correct. always going to be a top priority. So don't feel like you always have to speak up and say something. And if you don't speak up and say something that you're any less important to whatever causes that you're fighting for, because it's exhausting work in general. That's if you choose to be an advocate. If you don't choose to be an advocate, then don't feel like the pressure and the onus is always on you to stay stand up and do something correct, or say something, but also just do your best because some of y'all are here. Correct. And I mean, even like you don't like being an advocate. Like I don't need people to post everything they do. I think a lot of times people feel like they, when they, they got to remind they everybody remind you that, proof. that For, they're, you know, they're top pr- protester, you know, they're always in the streets exactly. with their picket sign. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you in, until that trust is broken. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if I see, um, a black individual at a conference that, you know, does some research that I'm interested in, I'm going to assume that you probably got my best interest at heart until I go up to you and you'd be like, nah, I'm good. You know, <laughs> right. Nah, so, you know, I don't want to help you. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to believe that, that you're doing some good work. Um, and I think, you know, I think we need to have that positive mindset. But like Odia said, not everybody's an advocate. Not everybody's going to speak up. But when you have that opportunity to give back, not mm-hmm. that you're looking for it, you know, just please accept that. Accept that opportunity. And I think that means that could be a huge difference. And that could mean the world to somebody. Yeah. Support how you can. Exactly. This was great. It was, it was lively, energetic, deep, nuanced, thorough. All because Miss Kane joined us today. I would say I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs>
K underscore E double underscore. All right, all your letters. Uh, right, <laughs> and then her official at name is Tuli T O O L triple Y verify. So she valid. Blue check mark. I like that. Oh man, let's get to this past the aux for real, man. Episode nineteen. Who are we starting off? I guess we have to start off our guest first, shouldn't we? Of course. Of course. Okay. It's only right. It's only right. Oh, uh, look, manners. <laughs> so I picked the song Little Bird by Jasmine Cephas Jones. Um, she was she's an actress and a singer. And I think it's a it's a good song, especially for people in this time where you're making a lot of these transitions, either socially, economically, whatever else. And I mean it's good, it's mellow. Mm. So I like it. There we go. Jasmine, how you say it? Cephas. Cephas. Jasmine Cephas. That was dope. That was dope. All right, who got it next? Who got it? You got it, or Mike, you got it? Yeah, I don't, I don't mind going. Um, I'll go after you. Yeah, so I just picked something just like, you know, in the light of all these troubling times, just a song that reminded me, that reminds me of um, something slow, something light, you know, nice and sweet, you know, nice lyrics. Um, that's, <clears throat> that reminds me of what we're working towards or what we're working for um, and just keeps me up, uplifted, too. So this is Save the Children by Gil Scott Heron.
Children by Gil Scott Heron, Pieces of a Man, Deluxe Edition, Big Vibes. Huge Vibes. <laughs> All right, um, I'm up next. Uh, my song is actually from a Netflix original. Um, it's called, um, what's, it, what's it called again? Ooh. I, oh, this, my song is I Need You, um, and I'm going to tell you where it's from right after I play the song. Tagging them out, I heard them. Claiming they back, saying they vouch, I heard them. Saying they love them, inside and out, and I'm hurting. Cause I never know what they talking about. They walk as a pair, handing each other's back in each other. I've never known how that feel, but I've had a dream of it. I long it, I really want it, I need it, don't I deserve it? A sisterhood, loving companion, am I not worth it? Somebody that'll shield me, gossip was trying to kill me. I don't feel like I fit in, my friends don't know the real me. I gotta keep my guard up, these questions make it harder. They ask me about my sister like I was making it all up. I'm young and misguided, these things are bruising me I lose against life so much, it feel like it's losing me Confused by puberty and these dudes is using me People always say they loyal, but that's not what they prove to be Wouldn't feel like I'm totally losing if I had you with me I need you, I need you When things get harder, I need you like how I need mom and dad to go get their daughter. I need you. 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 From Nasty C and Rolene. This is off the Netflix original Blood and Water. That's what was looting me before I played the song. So um, check it out. Um, I need you on iTunes, Spotify, or Anna, Blood, and, Blood and Water on Netflix. If you got Netflix. It was actually a pretty good show. It was a good show? Yeah. Or, you know, Oh, you didn't watch it? I haven't watched it at all. No. Oh, okay. I just I saw the song, and I'm like, I just remember seeing it on Netflix, but it okay. left my recent thing, so I think it just left my mind. Okay, yeah, it was a pretty good show. I'm going to check it. I added to the queue. Shout out to my boy for his Netflix. <laughs> um, I guess I'm going last. Um, people say that I've been slacking. That slacking. I've been, that I've been letting uh, Steven and Mike catch up. So this week, <laughs> yeah, I, lazy. This week I went into my vault. Mm. You know, I got a vault, so you know, obviously, I just been playing with it. But um, to, uh, 2016, um, this rapper named Dave B uh, released an album called Tomorrow. I think it's called Tomorrow. Um, and this song is called. Yep, the album's called Tomorrow. This song is called Right Here. Uh, Dave B. Right here, 
Dave B right here. Hopefully I redeem myself. Um the streets will let us know. Wait, the streets will let us know. Streets will let us know. Yeah. I, you know, Corey Slacking, the polls, Mike and me shotting up, <laughs> the guests mm-hmm. taking over. So now it's about average. So now I gotta come back. <laughs> Natural order is restoring. <laughs> I like making it competitive, man. I like making you, it competitive. You said making it competitive. You're struggling. That's what I'm <laughs> I like making say. it competitive. That's all you say. Masculinity is showing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! But yeah, we were saying yesterday we got to figure out a name for the streets, um, like a like a group name for like all the listeners. Oh yeah, we'll, no, we we'll, do. We'll figure it out. Mm. I call them the Tupperwares. I'll give you Kawhi's laugh for that. Um, I don't know. We gotta figure it out. Yeah, we'll talk about the it. Conversation with us? No, it's too wait too long. We gotta take suggestions. It's not Tupperwares. I about to say not Tupperwares. No one took no serious if our names. They're the Tupperwares. Well, that's too long. That's way too long. Utensils. I don't think that's fire on a t-shirt Utensils. either. <laughs> that's probably it though. Um. Yeah. That's our episode. Um. We usually do a food for thought. Um. Honestly, uh, I just want everybody in the world to um be safe. Um. Be um be be. Be strategic, not even be strategic. Um, recognize the voice that you have and use it appropriately. Um, there's a lot of things going on in the world, and just make sure you know you're adding to try to bring change, not trying to fight against it. Um, and I think I'm gonna let Joey rock with the rest of my benediction. To be honest, yo. Right. Um, um, I just want to say one thing. Um, I was reading this uh, message during the pod. Uh, it says, today is a perfect day to tell a black man how proud you are of him. Um, so I, I've, I've already received a few text messages just checking in. Um, and so, you know, just reach out to your friends. A lot is going on right now. Um, a lot is taking place in this world. So please reach out. Don't be afraid to send that text. Make that phone call. You know, randomly FaceTime people, right, you know, to, to check in to make sure that everybody is doing well. Um, but you know, off that, you know, continue to support, um, the pod. I'm proud of Mike and Steven, you know, as just a co-host on this pod, because, you know, we've been able to, to do some amazing things and have Mm -hmm. some amazing conversations thus far, um, to Odia. Thank you for being part of the conversation today. Um, we greatly appreciate you for being here. 
She got the record for more, most applause on the show now. Facts. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. Um, for the listeners, continue to tune in, continue to like, rate, subscribe, review. Um, we love hearing your feedback. Um, otherwise, I would have just been playing some throwbacks, not knowing that I was slacking in the polls. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. Um, continue to tell your auntie, to tell her grandmother, to tell her god sister, to tell her cousin. Um, the after dinner conversation is here. Almost, almost twenty years old. Amen. <laughs> Trying to stay